Good morning, listeners, and uh, welcome to this week's news from the drug war front with Jeff and Marin in uh, Studio One at Two X. Good morning to you, Marin. Good morning, Jeffrey. Good morning, listeners. How are we all this morning? I hope you're still in bed because it's ever so cold outside, even though that sun is shining. I saw that sun and thought, wacko. Yeah. Well, Put on a beanie. It's beautiful if you're standing in the sun, but the air is still, still really a bit quite chilly. cold. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is a bit chilly. Okay, for those who aren't aware of what uh, news from the drug war front uh, discusses, it's brought to you by Karma, which is uh, the peer-based uh, drug and alcohol service in Canberra called uh, the Canberra Alliance for Minimisation and Advocacy. And co-located is The Connection, which is Canberra's peer-based drug and alcohol service for First Nations clients. Uh, news from the drug war front promotes uh, a broad array of services provided by Karma, which... Um, uh, Marion will uh, expand on. And we also try and report on stories that are relevant to illicit drug users from Australia and around the world. And one of the key aims of this, this show, and it's been on air for over 15 years, is not only to promote karma, of course, that's um, number one priority, but also to try and get uh, encourage people to think about uh, the, the issues, uh, issues yeah. of 60 years of prohibition, like... Do they believe what they read in the mainstream media? Do they think it works? Do they think it's worth the money? Um, it's a global um, yes. concept. Um, and it, and the, the issues are global. Yes. And the variety of um, responses to the so-called war on drugs or war on drug users, as we tend to call it, are many and varied, but it it is integral to... The issues about drug users or illicit drug use are integral to every other issue that you think about. The the issue of ecology and economy and human rights, they're all intimately related. You cannot separate one from the other. We had a chat with Tom. Yes, who did the previous show. Did the show from From 10-10-10-30? No, 9 till 10, 9.30 till 10. 9.30 till 10, sorry, yeah. yeah. And he had a guest who is a, a paleontologist, is it? Or someone um, that looks at the history of the he, Earth's climate through looking yeah. at the soil layers. But looking at it from the, um, uh, I thought it was the ice paleontologist, wasn't he referring particularly to the um, the Arctic and the Antarctic and uh, the fact that um, what's going to happen very rapidly now, and that they have been regretting not uh, making um, the world aware earlier when they said they were being alarmist. They Would should have started then because now we're at the point where um, ice flows will be in the Anti- in the Arctic. Oh, sorry, the um, the oceans, the um, Atlantic Ocean. Uh, will be floating from the north and from the south. It's going to change things massively because the climate will change, not just 
not just the climate, the weather is changing and that it's time to be alarmist. And, in fact, we should have been alarmist years ago. But that's integral to our issues too, Geoffrey. We can't say it's not. And well, last week we did a show um, where we uh, looked at the impact in Brazil in on the Amazon yes. of Bolsonaro's um, Let It Burn. That's right. Have more cattle. Um, and you know that Lula, I was listening last night, of course, to the BBC, which always makes me go to sleep. Um, one of the yeah, ecologists on the program was saying that, oh, no, 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 it was the minister, the new minister, who was the old minister for um, the uh, climate and for in Brazil, who under President Lula used to be the minister for the before country, he lost country the before he lost to Bolsonaro, which was like 18 years ago. No, he lost, no, he lost one, ter one term, Bolsonaro. Got, 2003. Yeah, he got one term. One. Yeah, no, 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 I'm saying Lula. Oh, Lula was in before, Lula's, yeah. Um, minister for, couple, for the ecology. And for the well, he was president of Brazil for two terms, then he lost to Bolsonaro. And they had a plan for the, um, uh, the Amazon basin and they started to implement it in 2003, implemented it for, I think, 12 months, two years, and then were out of government um, and had started to re-implement the plan because it has been... It's still pertinent, still relevant, despite the fact that much of the um, much of the area around the Amazon within Brazil, but also um, Bolivia and Colombia, are uh, being invaded by uh, being invaded by people who by criminals who are drug dealers who are trying to launder money. Yeah, look, so I that, think Lula's going to try his best. And well, I think he's, he's a they're wonderful reintroducing leader. the same policy is what I'm trying to say, Jeffrey. that well, they were trying better. to introduce 20 he's, years ago. He's organised a um, symposium well, with know the what, yes. leaders of the eight main Indigenous tribes yep. who've settled the Amazon for millennia, and he's going to take a whole of um, South America look or at Amazon basin, uh, like illness, um, illegal gold mining, illegal yep. uh, cattle ranching, illegal. Yep. Um, uh, tree felling, like yep. he's really serious about trying to make a difference. Absolutely. Well, they had a, a specific policy aimed at that, and that was what the minister was saying, that they're going to reintroduce that policy. But also incorporated with those issues you were talking about is the money laundering, and this is about people retaking or taking away from landowners or public land, publicly owned land, um, that the government owns. That is surrounding the basin. We'll see how well he manages, how long oh, he stays well, in power, what the military do. How what, they respond to it, yeah, which is always an issue. Do. There's a lot of things against well, him. Well, the change in government in Colombia might help too. They might be sympathetic to each other. Yeah, it's a bit of a shame his son got um, charged with money laundering. But anyway, Indeed. look, um, before we get into the guts of the show... Um, yes. If life was a bit fairer, um, Jude Byrne, who would be well known to any... Um, harm reduction activist in Australia and perhaps even uh, globally. Um, it w would have been her 66th birthday yesterday had she not passed away yep. in March uh, two years ago. One of her absolute favourite songs was Nick Cave's um, beautiful song, Into Your Arms. So, um, Into My Arms, yeah. I'm going to take uh, you know, the, um, the lead on this and uh, play Nick Cave.
I don't believe in an interventionist God But I know, darling, that you do If I did, I would kneel down and ask him Not to intervene when it came to you Well, not to touch your hair and your head Leave you as you are If he felt he had to direct you Then direct you into my own Into my arms, oh Lord, into my arms, oh Lord, into my arms, oh Lord, into my arms. And I don't believe in the existence of angels. Looking at you, I wonder if that's true But if I did, I would summon them together And ask them to watch over you To each burn a candle for you To make bright and clear your path And to walk like Christ in grace and love And guide you into my arms Into my arms Oh Lord Into my arms Oh Lord Into my arms Oh Lord Of course, that was Nick Cave and his uh, classic um, 
love song, I'd say, Into My Arms. It's beautiful, just beautiful. And it was definitely one of Jude's um, all-time favourites. Okay, welcome back to this week's news from the Drug War Front. It's 10.42 in Studio One, People Powered Radio, uh, 98.3 FM. Uh, do you want to run through just the highlights of what we do? Look, the radio show, of course, is brought to you by Karma and The Connection. Um, and Karma, the Canberra Alliance for Harm Minimisation and Advocacy, which is... Co-located with the connection, Belcon and Churches Centre, Shop Seventeen, Level One Fifty Four, Benjamin Way, and and the drop-in, it runs a drop-in centre which is open from ten a.m. to four p.m. Monday to Friday. The office phone number, if you want to know more about Karma or any of its services, is six two five three three six four three. Um, Karma runs. I just counted them up roughly. There's about ten different projects or programs at the moment um, and their advice and advocacy on opioid maintenance treatment, um, accessing treatment for hepatitis C, helping people to cope, cope overcome uh, stigma and discrimination, helping people to access detox rehab or referrals to other drug treatment services. Um, the radio show, of course, is courtesy of Karma's funding. Karma offers a work, walk-in health clinic with doctor and nurse in attendance from 10am to 4pm. That's every Thursday now. Um, peer education workshops, including the opioid overdose management and training, uh, which incorporates take-home naloxone, which is really important. Um, it's collaborating in the provision of the, the CanTest drug checking service. I think it's one of the most important things, Well, it's certainly, yeah, and it's a novelty in Australia and certainly has just had its funding extended for a further 18 months, which is really important. Well, it's now federally provided to any pharmacy that's happy to put it, you know, available for free. What, the drug checking? Naloxone. Oh, the naloxone, yeah. yes. But Which I, oh, sorry, did I get confused? Sorry. Well, you just... No, that's all right, the naloxone. That's really important because, and we do want to actually um, emphasise that this week because there have been some overdoses recently, um, opioid overdoses, and that we really need to please exhort people to just... Even if you don't do the training which is the first Tuesday of every month and is run by Karma, usually at the early morning centre. But the first Tuesday every month, 2 o'clock on Tuesday afternoon, um, Dave and or Damo run the uh, opioid overdose reversal or management training, incorporating take-home naloxone. Um, But you can get naloxone um, from every pharmacy and it's available for you to you for free and everybody should have a little spray container in their bag or pocket of their jacket just take it with you even if you don't ever use it but it is so important you've got it and you don't know if you use it once and it doesn't work it's not an opioid overdose Yes, but it's really important because what we've discovered through the drug checking service this week is that um, metonitazine has been found in the cocaine in Melbourne. Now, the metonitazines we've been talking about for the last few weeks um, in relation to the drug checking service because that's been found in particularly in the opioids. Um, And it's really important that you know that 
reversing the effects of nitrosamines can be achieved by using naloxone. So the little spray container that you can get to stop people from dying from opioid overdose will also work with these new nitrosine drugs. So which are been, stronger synthetic opioids, which some people might think, oh, I wonder if naloxone uh, would be good. Yeah, it works. Yeah, well, but it does work. So Advice from CanTest um, includes the harm reduction tips, obviously. Test your stuff. Come and see us at CanTest. Yep. Um, never use alone. I don't know how many times we've said that. Let a friend or family member uh, know to keep an eye on you. Um, start low, go slow. Try to avo- avoid redosing. And if you do, wait um, around two hours between doses. Carry naloxone, drop in a karma or can test to get a free nasal naloxone spray, which can reverse opioid overdoses from these um, powerful nitrosines. So that's one of the great things about can test is not only can people um, test the drugs that they intend to take and see how pure it is and what it might be adulterated with, um, it actually uh, can lead to alerts of... Um, of this kind. Of this kind. Yeah. Which and is that's re- really important. and something that really we've wanted for a long time and the only way we've ever been able to achieve it prior to the existence of the drug checking service was if you knew somebody who was working in a chemistry lab, either in the ANU or in some other facility. Yeah. But now that we have the drug checking service or facility, it's and that's available change. on yeah. Thursday and Fridays, Make a, make that excess avail yourself of that service. It's a really useful service, and surely you want to know what's in your drugs. Um, I would want to know what's in my drugs. Absolutely, and I think so as time goes on, do go and have a look. Go and find out, and they it's anonymous. You don't have to be identified, mm. um, and you and it's free. Yep. You don't have to pay for the service. Just walk in, go into the ACT Health Building, find out where it's located and get your drugs checked so you know what's contained in it. And a lot of people are going to CanTest. It's their first experience with getting harm reduction advice. That's right. There uh, is any... a peer educator yeah. in there. Yes. And if you want to know what services are available or what you should do with the information you're getting about your drug check, just ask one of the um, workers in there and they will help you. They're it's incredibly a, helpful. It's a fantastic people. service. It and is a great I, service. I think it's a, as time goes on, it'll become ever more important. It will. Okay, news from the drug war front uh, reports on news stories that are relevant to illicit drug users from Australia and around the world. Many of the articles featured in this program come from other sources, including mainstream media. The contents of this uh, broadcast slash podcast do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of karma and the connection. Karma does not condone nor condemn drug use and we do not promote illegal activity. However, we recognise that drug use happens and will continue to happen regardless of laws and United Nations conventions. As such, CARM focuses on harm reduction messages, drug treatment support services, advocacy and community development. We seek to reduce the uh, harms associated with drug use and its criminalisation through the provision of programs that foster community development and the delivery of person-centred holistic health care. Karma advocates for equity of health service delivery for all people. Mm. Now, you've picked this song, uh, Marion, from the Mamas and the Papas. Yeah, I just discovered the Mamas and Papas in your in your pile of um, CDs over there, Jeffrey, and I thought that one would be nice. Mama Cass, who was um, oh, what a voice. one of our colleagues and had just the most fabulous, you know, Gentle but but strong, booming voice, um, yeah. and I just love this one. There's one of the few that she 
um, released on her own. Oh, okay. Yeah. Dedicated to the one I love. And it was yes, it was a re uh, re release of an old song, but a lovely song nonetheless. All beautifully right. rendered by her. Mamas and the Papas. Apologies for that error. Of course, that was not dedicated to the one I love. That's uh, track one on disc two. I played disc one and that was Monday, Monday. Apo- but that's apologies. okay. We will get yeah, to the other song. one. Yep. It, and in fact, that was the mamas and the papas, not just Mama Chaos, who did dedicate to the one on I her love. Own. And that's okay. It's a good song anyway. I wanted to report on um, 
some uh, or a petition that arose from uh, a letter that uh, Marion Jauncey wrote. She uh, manages the Sydney uh, Medically Supervised Injecting Centre and supporting the call for a second one in Melbourne in the CBD. Yeah. It's a, um, a really important issue and something that we can actually collaborate on and help our friends in Melbourne. It's uh, a petition that is online. The uh, article act- that promotes it says, Save Lives, Support the Opening of a Supervised Injecting, injecting Service in Melbourne's Central Business District. Uh, so far there's about, well, by the time this went to air, there are about... Um, a thousand signatures on it. The article says, sign this petition and show your support for a supervised injecting service, also known as overdose prevention service, in Melbourne CBD. Without a safer alternative, people are currently forced to inject in car parks, laneways, next to resident, uh, restaurants and public toilets. Approximately one person a month dies of heroin overdose in the city of Melbourne, the highest of any local council. These deaths are unnecessary. These are sons, daughters, brothers and sisters, all loved and mourned by families and friends. In March 2023, the CEOs and leaders of 80 organisations, including welfare agencies, legal services, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander services and religious organisations, signed this joint letter calling for a small, quote, a small discreet supervised injecting service embedded within a broader range of community health services such as mental health, housing, sexual health, oral health and allied health services. Like us, they're concerned about the unprecedented numbers of vulnerable people who are overdosing in the CBD and the rising number of heroin-related ambulance call-outs in the city. Yeah, it's obvious what the problem is. Mm. She goes on to say we can no longer ignore the problem. The CBD community is simply crying out for a solution that will save lives, free up ambulances, reduce the burden on hospitals, decrease discarded injecting equipment, and connect people to the support that they really need. Our response as community to this health issue should be a health solution, underpinned by care, support and compassion. A comprehensive, a comprehensive overdose prevention service should offer a range of health, homelessness and other support, social supports, alongside supervised injecting, which would ensure that people can access the health and the social supports that they need, saving countless lives. A CBD overdose prevention service would also connect people to specialists and pathways out of uh, dependence, such as pharmacotherapy. Supervised injecting centres have become a highly politicised issue. But if we take out the politics, the reality is they save lives. They move drug use off the streets and they connect people to care and treatment. All very important points. Very important. She's right. Our CBD community is determined to find a better way to respond to public drug use that allows us to save lives and connects people with support and reduces the impact of drug use on the broader community. We all want our city to be a place where everyone can flourish and um, where everyone has uh, something to turn for, um, that, yeah, what, what they, the services that they need, I think is what she's trying to say. Um, now, with that uh, letter is a change.org petition, which you can sign and um, just put your name or any, any name and alias if you don't want to put your real name. It's getting up to the goal of 1,500. Um, that was yesterday. It got to 1,500. I signed it. 
Send I it. signed it too. I signed it on the weekend. So, yeah, look, I think it's really oh, good important on and I think it's well worth um, getting onto and saying, look, we we support this issue. There's no reason why the second injecting site shouldn't be open, um, it, uh, particularly if it's discreet. We've got a um, place. It makes it much more discreet for people to inject and they're not next to restaurants, they're not in public places. No. They're off the street and they're safe and will stay alive. So just support our colleagues, our friends, our peers down in Victoria. Give them a hand, sign the petition and just let your perspective be known. Yeah, look, I only gave the minimum donation. I think it was $7 or something, nothing much. But I thought, um, you know, you very uh, rarely get... Um, praise for good work that you do like this. And I just sent a, a brief email to um, uh, Marion just saying how I'd read her letter and the petition that had come with it and just to thank her for her great work. She has done a lot of great work. She initiated the you know, management of the Sydney Injecting Centre. Second or third, I think it was. Was she? In, uh, Ingrid. No, that's right. In, yeah, Ingrid yeah. was the first one. But she's been there quite a while and she. Her heart's in it. Um, well, not only that, but um, she's prepared to reach out and support a service, a similar service in another state. Um, and I, I think that's just it's acknowledgement of those kinds of services are few and far between. And I think it's really important. So I really, you know, congratulate you, Jeffrey, on your donation to them, but also just the... The initiative shown by Marion to support what's going on in Victoria is really important. No, she's done great work. Yep. All right, we've got the uh, National Community Radio News coming up. We'll be back after the news. At 2XX98.3, your support is important to us. So become part of your community station by subscribing, donating or volunteering. So visit us at 2XXFM.org.au. Ah, great to hear Dave and I doing a promo again. Okay, you're listening to News from the Drug War Front at uh, 2XX Studio 1, 98.3, People Powered Radio, and it's four minutes after 11, and you're listening to News from the Drug War Front with Jeff and Marion. Okay, this is an interesting one. Um, uh, former daughter-in-law hosted suspected deadly mushroom lunch, according to Victoria Police. Ah. Oh, that's interesting. That I had that seen that release, but I didn't realise it was related to anybody. I wondered why it had been so uh, promoted in yeah, such a was, way. Yeah, what were the details? Police say they're keeping an open mind and the investigation into the exact circumstances of the incident are ongoing. Okay, the former daughter-in-law of a Victorian couple who died from suspected mushroom poisoning hosted the lunch that has sparked a homicide investigation. Four people were taken to hospital on July 30th, a day after they became ill, following a meal at a home in Lee and Gatha, about 135 kilometres southeast of Melbourne. Three of them have since died. A 66-year-old Karumbara woman died in hospital on Friday, while her 68-year-old husband, a Baptist pastor, was in a critical condition at the Austin Hospital in Melbourne. So it doesn't sound like a religious no. festival or... Um, uh, well, it was no. It was actually in the food. the The mushrooms just were cooked in the up food. in the food. Yeah, yeah. And that uh, the way they've entitled it, it looks like she's suspected. But from what I heard over the weekend, there was no um, suspicion cast upon her. It was simply in the meal. It wasn't as if they took magic mushrooms. It was simply wild mushrooms that have been put into the food. Well, that's what I thought when yeah. I first heard about it. 
Uh, the woman's 70-year-old sister and brother-in-law, also from, from Carumbra, died on Friday and Saturday, respectively. Oh, this is terrible. Yeah, it is. Uh, police have questioned a 48-year-old Leon Gather woman who authorities say um, uh, hosted the lunch and prepared the food. She was released pending further inquiries. Detective Inspector Dean Thomas of the Homicide Squad revealed the woman was the former daughter-in-law of one of the couples. She is separated from the son of one of the couples, but police said the relationship was amicable. Thomas said the people who died presented with symptoms consistent with eating death cap mushrooms. Mm. Quote, she cooked those meals for those people who were, pre were present. She hasn't presented with any symptoms, but we have to keep an open mind in relation to this, that it could be very innocent, but we just don't know at this point. Thomas said the 48-year-old woman's two children were also present at the lunch, but did not eat the meal. He said items have been seized from the home and they will be forensically tested. Quote, we, all, we need to understand what has occurred and the circumstances surrounding all of that, end mm. quote. The couples uh, became sick last week after attending the lunch. They were transferred to the Austin Hospital in Melbourne after being treated at local hospitals. Police searched a home in Leongatha on Saturday. The families of the dead say they grappled with this shock and grief. Quote, our beloved family members, who we will not name at this time out of respect for their privacy, were cherished individuals, the Patterson and Wilkinson's families said in a statement published in the South Gippsland Sentinel Times. So the, the media will name them, but um, the families won't. Quote, they were parents, grandparents, siblings, children and pillars of faith within our community. Their love, steadfast faith and selfless service have left an indelible mark on our families, the Corrinborough Baptist Church, the local community and indeed people around the globe. The families extend their gratitude to their wider communities for their outpouring of love, support and prayers. The support extended to the family member who continue to fight bravely in hospital, they said. Quote, our families will assist appropriate authorities in any way we can and respect any necessary processes amidst this tragedy, they said. South Gippsland Mayor Nathan Hersey said the small Currumborough community was in mourning. After a service on Sunday, the Mayor spoke with members of the Baptist Church congregation who have been gathering regularly to pray for the victims. Hersey said the families are very much involved in the faith community. It's hard because we've had a lot of people experience a lot of grief all at once. He goes on to say it's shock and it's grief and it's sadness and it's not just with one person that they love but three who they love dearly and who have passed away and then now another who's in a critical condition. Hershey went on to say many people were worried that if the incident was more than an accident, it would raise another level of sadness and concern. But at the moment, we must let the investigation take its course, he said. We're really just encouraging people in our area to continue to support and get around one another. Police are investigating the incident in conjunction with the Department of Health. Victorian health authorities in April warned people to stay away from wild mushrooms as downpours created ideal conditions for poisonous fungi to flourish. It's the same happens in Canberra, I might add. Yeah, it You has need happened. to be careful, particularly with death cap mushrooms, but they're not easily identifiable. In many ways, they look very similar to the edible fungi. 
um, Victoria had a spate of death cap mushroom poisonings in 2020 with eight people in the hospital at one point. Five ended up in intensive care and one died. It's a real problem. That's very sad. But, um, yeah, I guess you have to be careful. Yes. And know um, your mushrooms. It, does, it yeah. finishes there. But it's, it is really important. And as we go on to talk about psilocybin in a further article from Karma. There's a great piece on a, Karma's website. Yeah, and it, uh, it actually leads into that. If you are looking to get hold of magic mushrooms, make sure you're not getting hold of poisonous ones. Yeah, we'll just do a brief uh, whip through you because you can look this up on the Karma website. It's basically about safer using of psilocybin, which um, uh, is a psychedelic drug with similar effects to LSD, but a shorter duration, four to six hours. It's a major psychoactive component of magic mushrooms and is converted by the body into its active form, psilocybin. It can produce feelings of interconnectedness, feelings of love and peace, alterations to perceptions of time and uh, space, religious and mystical type feelings, as well as meaningful insights into oneself. I think that's why they're looking at it at microdosing as a, a means of um, counselling and treatment and looking to uh, therapy. Yeah, uh, psychotherapy. Yeah, in mm. the brain. Psilocybin, they talk about, they said it was, um, no, it still used the same thing. They're still using the same word. I just thought they changed. The effective name no, of the drug within it. I thought they got out with psilocin or something. But anyway. Still psilocybin. Yeah. A trip can be incredibly profound. Some people have described an experience as being one of the most meaningful experiences of their entire life. For at least 500 years, psilocybin containing mushrooms have been used in Mexico and also Central America for religious and healing purposes, shaman and the like. Mm. In 1952, amateur mycologist Gordon Wasson documented the use of these mushrooms in uh, Mexico and made them known in the West. And in the 60s, Albert Hoffman, the first person to synthesise LSD, identified their main psychoactive components, psilocybin and psilocin. That's the word I was looking for. Psilocin. Psilocin. Yeah, yeah. I, I hadn't heard that one. Yeah, um, that's the active ingredients. It's in- <coughs> interesting. Okay, so do you want to report the effects? Yeah, I'd look, the effects are important, but also the dosages. Um, mm. But I, that's a, more about actually getting them drug checked. So, But people often report it's difficult to put the experience of psilocybin into words. Nevertheless, the commonly um, reported effects of psilocybin can include, but are not limited to, mood lift and euphoria, altered perception of space and time, profound religious and mystical experiences, feelings of love and peace, feelings of interconnectedness, feelings of empathy, feelings of wonder, giggling and laughing, sudden insights, enhanced touch sensation and music appreciation, visual and auditory hallucinations, introspection, feeling emotionally sensitive, yawning, sleepiness and lethargy, nausea and stomach discomfort, um, confusion, anxiety, dilated pupils, dizziness, memory problems. And the difference between that and LSD is that uh, no amphetamine-like symptoms would be detected. That would be quite nice. Yes. Yeah. I think it makes a big difference. Yeah, and also, that, of course, the length of time that it's effective for. It's only four to six hours as opposed to eight hours. You just want the effects hours. that you're hoping to get. Mm. The onset of effects is quite variable, but typically it takes 20 to four to five minutes and the other thing I wanted to say uh, was that the dosages are really quite important. If you're talking about a low dose, you're talking 0.5 to 
1.5 dried mushrooms. That's a low dose. And so within that, you'd get 2.5 to 10 milligrams of psilocybin. A medium dose is 1.5 to 3.5 grams of dried mushrooms, which is 10 to 25 milligrams of psilocybin. And then a strong dose, which is 3.5 plus grams of dried mushrooms, which is approximately 25 plus milligrams of psilocybin. Certain mushroom, certain mushroom species that grow in Australia, such as psilocybaringosa, uh, subaruginosa, lovely, can be more potent than other species and thus require a smaller dose to achieve the same effects. Overdose is important. Um, increased heart rates, the symptoms of overdose are increased heart rate, nausea and vomiting, muscle weakness, impaired condition and motor skills, anxiety and paranoia, confusion, delusions and loss of touch with reality. Uh, in fact, it's really quite a good idea to actually, if you're going to do a mushroom trip, that you do it with somebody else, yes. either someone who stays straight or someone who's already tried mushrooms and knows how to manage their own trip and therefore can help you manage yours. Get as informed as you can. If you, ha yes, look, we can never say too much about this, but the, this article will be on the Karma. Yep website and we can only exhort please read it if you know nothing about magic mushrooms and you don't know where they're found you need to find out what they look like how you can tell if they're magic mushrooms and not poisonous mushrooms yep. and how to take them safely which we always suggest don't do it alone there are 14 references way. in this article oh yeah it's and if you want to um read it it's at www.karma which is c-a-h-m-a www.karma.org.au so, yep. www so you can read it to your heart's content. Okay, I'm going to play um, a second track which um, was another one of Jude's uh, favourites. Uh, this is uh, Cold Chisel and Flame Trees. She really um, enjoyed this one.
That was uh, the Aussie band Cold Chisel and uh, Flame, Flame Trees, Trees, which yeah. is one of my favourites with Cold Chisel, I must admit. It's a bit more, not just rock and roll, pub rock, you know, pumping yeah. it out. It's um, quite an emotional song. Okay, it's 20 minutes to midday, uh, 20 minutes, sorry, 20 minutes after 11. Because. Uh, you're listening to News from the Drug War Front with Jeff and Marion in Studio One of Two Double X People Powered Radio, and uh, we'd like to encourage you to support Two Double X in any way that you can. Now, this next story is interesting. It's the drug dealer turned stand-up comic who is now high on laughter. Sydney Morning Herald. Just two years ago, Andrew Hamilton had an excellent reason not to crack do- jokes. He was in a high-security jail for selling magic mushrooms and LSD. Quote, in a lot of prison wings, you don't want to draw attention to yourself, he explains. That's true. You're trying to make yourself as invisible as possible. It can go wrong very quickly. If you're a smart-ass to the wrong person, things can go wrong. Mm. Now he's hitting comedy stages with his show Jokes About the Time I Went to Prison, which saw him nominated for his first Best Newcomer Award at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, which I used to go to every year when I lived in Melbourne. Saw some great stuff including Will Anderson talk about his drug history. That's which who it was, yeah. I that's easy, interesting, laughed and laughed and laughed. It was a classic. Um, in this show, Hamilton shares his prison food reviews, a hit on TikTok, <laughs> and tells stories about his time behind bars, including when corrective service, services officers asked him both if he was contemplating suicide and whether he wanted to buy a television for his cell. Yeah. Well, <laughs> probably one or the other, not both. Uh, the book or the 
the, I suppose, the performance, jokes about the time I went to prison, also candidly touches on some of Hamilton's life, leading up to a police raid at his home in June 2021. Despite an apparently flourishing uh, comedy career, he worked in public relations and also owned a high-profile pizza shop in um, Potts Point. He experienced suicidal thoughts, becoming addicted to gambling and illicit substances, and eventually he started to deal drugs to support his habit. Uh, heading towards trouble. Mm. Um, he'd always wanted to try his luck at stand-up comedy, but he'd never, fa- he'd never found the nerve or plucked up the nerve. Now he's making up for lost time, having progressed quickly from open mic nights to being a New South Wales War Comedy finalist and winning acclaim for his debut festival hour. Quote, if it had been a quick development, but I guess I had so much I wanted to get out, but for, both from my prison experience, also... Uh, from my mess of a life in the years prior to that, I felt like I had some real venom and passion in what I wanted to talk about. Uh, Hamilton was granted bail and released from jail on the condition he lived with his parents. He also had to be accompanied by one of them while out at night, so his mother mother would go with him to the open mic night performances. He would ask event organisers to perform early in the night because he had a curfew of 10pm. Still, his first time on stage was a revelation. I'll bet it was, especially for his mother. Um, He's quoted as saying, I spent nights and nights memorising my set. I didn't really perform it. I just said the words, but it felt so, so good to get a laugh. As soon as you hear those first laughs, a wash of relief comes over you. He soon found kindred spirits on the scene, in the scene. Quote, there are guys you see every single open mic night if you get up every single night of the week trying to make strangers laugh and getting either zero or five dollars for it. You obviously have something in you that's driving you to do that. I think other comics see that in each other. I've lost a lot of friends, he said, because of what happened. So it was so much fun to start telling jokes and meet this warm, welcoming comedy community in Sydney. Having survived the extreme experiences of jail, Hamilton says he's not afraid of bombing on stage. Instead, his experiences have motivated him to put all of his energy into stand-up. The next heading is, uh, I was at such a low point, I felt I had nothing else to lose. That's what he said, and maybe it made him a bit fearless, he says. I made me a bit fearless. I don't think I ever would have done stand-up comedy if I didn't lose everything first. That makes sense, doesn't it? It went from being the grim hour you may anticipate Hamilton's show is surprisingly upbeat. I've always been an optimist, he said, and that helped my situation. Also, because of the depressing environment you're in, that's jail he's talking about, whenever something funny happened, it was twice as funny. Laughter is a very transportive thing. Hamilton is particularly proud of the work's closing stretch, where he reflects on the role comedy has played in changing his fortune. His last quote, I wanted to th- us to think, I wanted us to think for a moment, why do we perform comedy? Why do people come and see comedy? I truly believe it's because of having a laugh is hugely therapeutic. I agree. And it can change a life. I think the point is too that if you don't laugh about life, then you cry. Yeah. And that's one of the things you find with comedians and, and historically they've been fairly uh, depressed and you know, often 
fluctuate from very high to very low. But if you don't laugh about life, then you often have to cry. And a good laugh and is that good goes therapy, for everybody. isn't it? It's very good therapy. Yeah. I really love an American yeah. comic, Bill Hicks, who sadly died of pancreatic cancer at 33. Oh, he was yes. a heavy smoker and he yeah. tells a classic skit about, you know, bagging non-smokers and how great it is being a smoker. And <laughs> he was an atheist. He, he was just a real rebel. But yeah. uh, if you've never heard Bill Hicks, uh, check him out on YouTube or, or whatever. Um, thought I might do this brief one. Um, we haven't done the overseas stories yet, um, Marion, from yeah. china.org.cn. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Police seize one point three one. 1.313 tonnes of illicit drugs in southern Iran. That is really interesting. I, if only for the flow of information, Jeffrey. Yeah, going from southern Iran to china.org. You don't often hear details like that, do you? No. Uh, Tehran, July the 29th. The Iranian police have seized 1.313 tonnes of illegal drugs in the southern province of Hor. Muzgan over the past seven days in operations carried out under a scheme to fight narcotic trafficking, official news agency IRNA reported last Saturday. During the operations, 19 traffickers as well as 18 drug retailers and distributors were arrested. IRNA quoted Hor Muzgan Police Commissioner. <laughs> you hate that, don't like that word, Jeffrey, uh, do some, you? Some are tricky. Not easy, is it? Ali Akbar Javadan is saying... He insisted, uh, oh, sorry, he listed the seized <laughs> drugs as 56.1 kilograms of opium. Wow. 881, that is, oh, Jeffrey. Is it? Yeah. Oh, I knew. It's very small printing. Yeah, I haven't got 177 the kilograms of hashish, 253 kilograms of methamphetamine, and two, two kilograms of other illicit substances. It's very tiny print, Jeffrey. So it's got, quite understandable. No, glasses. you haven't got your reading glasses. I have mine, though. Well, you finish it off. <laughs> Noting the nine vehicles used for carrying the drugs were also confiscated. Apart from the announced seizure, Javidan said that in a separate operation supported by intelligence from a central province, its forces managed to seize 500 kilograms of methamphetamine concealed in a truck and Hormuz gun uh, earlier Friday. He added two suspects were arrested in the operation, noting that the methamphetamine cargo had been loaded onto the truck in Afghanistan. Um, and at M. Anyway, that's, uh, so that's from China.org CN, and it's via te- from Tehran, um, but through Xinhua. Yeah, yeah, so, so Chinese July the twenty ninth. So that's really interesting. Don't the, often get news that no, the the, the fluctuate the route of uh, information flow. One of the interesting things about Iran, you know, people think it just be heavy handed on drugs. They were quite early in the piece in developing pharmacotherapy programs okay. like, like methadone yeah. and making it quite easily available for people with dependency on opiates. So that is it's funny how there are anomalies in. Even in countries you expect it, it to be. It is peculiar. And yet that that would kind of make sense in a place as big as China, wouldn't it? You cannot suppress every activity. If you're going to accept some behaviours in the community, then you have to facilitate their acceptance, yeah. like the management of opioid dependence, particularly if you have chronic pain. Don't think it applies and to the, the Taliban. And the use of opioids historically in China, Yeah. Oh, absolutely, part how, of the culture, yeah. yeah. How, how, that, how do we change 
management of opioid dependency or opium dependency, more to the point, which used to be an exclusively elder genera- older generation. For um, hard life in the field. Well, yeah, reward. Yeah, reward. For, yeah, for, for having spent such a long time yeah. working hard and supporting your family and then you're allowed to sit back, relax, become full of opium, look after the grandchildren I think while you're on the nod. far more civilised than our approach to... Well, it um, certainly was. And then if they changed that policy, they would have had to facilitate management of that change. So that's why I say it sort of makes sense, if, it, particularly for the older generation, that making the opioid maintenance therapies available. Have you got the uh, piece just uh, about uh, Indigenous use in Ontario? Um I Knowing think you did give it to me. Yes, as Indigenous Youth We. Yeah, um, it says we know peer overdose education is vital. Um, did you know that in Ontario, three times as many young people are dying of overdose compared to a decade ago? Across Canada, many teenagers are experimenting with drugs alone because they don't feel safe telling others. But when yep. people use alone, they overdose alone. To reduce youth overdose deaths, we need to reduce the stigma that surrounds drug use. And to do that, we need peer educators that youth can relate to because they share common experiences like growing up in the overdose crisis. I'm laughing, Geoffrey, because there's an echo of Marion and Geoffrey in this article. But really, this is not written by us. This came from... This came from filtermag.org on August the 3rd. So, yes. It could have been written by us. It could have been written by us, yeah. This is why in 2021 we came together to form Talk Overdose. The four of us, female Indigenous teenagers aged 14 to 19, deliver virtual and in-person overdose prevention education to youth groups. Good on them. Isn't that great? Yeah, it is. Our curriculum is for grades 7 to 12 because these years are when many youth are first introduced to opioids. We, int- we include naloxone training, preparing students for what to do if they find themselves responding to an overdose. We also have guest speakers with lived experience of using unregulated opioids and interactive workshops that demonstrate how to listen with empathy rather than judgment. And we talk about overdose prevention in the context of mental health factors that often impact people in our age range, like body image or bullying. Isn't that great? Good on them. We've struggled, they go on to say, we've struggled to find schools willing to host youth to youth peer education about overdose prevention and harmful stigma. I was going to ask that question, actually, Geoffrey, how they got into schools, but at that age, between 14 and 19, they w- that would be an acceptable age to be presenting it because I know that when I was older and was working in drug and alcohol field, I was too old to say, look, this is what teenagers are doing. Mm. And they wouldn't accept it, but if a 14 to 19-year-old person or between those ages went in and said, your kids are doing this, I know I'm one of them, yeah. it'd be more acceptable. And we know the amount of deaths in Canada. It's well, just... yeah, it's phenomenal. Since we began talking overdose, the article goes on to say, in 2021, we've reached over 1,500 youth across Canada. We've also expanded to a second project delivering Indigenous culture workshops. When people feel connected to their culture, it has a positive impact on their mental health and well-being and empowers them to take more precaution and fewer risks. But we've struggled to find schools willing to host youth-to-youth peer education about overdose prevention Mm. and harmful stigma. 
School administrators can play administrators can play a vital role in facilitating these connections. Sometimes they will tell us that they support our message, but would like students to hear it from adults rather than have us deliver it, so they don't actually trust the teenagers. But it wouldn't be our message that way, and it wouldn't be peer-delivered education. That's quite right. As authorities often point out, youth are more likely to listen to their peers than to adults. Well, so are adults and so are doctors and so are lawyers, especially when it comes to drug use. Drug use can be a sensitive topic and discussing it openly can be hard. But if we don't talk about it, then people will continue believing harmful stereotypes. If schools want to combat youth overdose, they must make an active take an make an active effort to connect with youth with accurate harm reduction information. Peer education is consistently shown to be an effective way to do this and as authorities often point out, youth are more likely to listen to their peers than to adults, especially when it comes to drug use. I mean, let's face it, adults have often lied to them about drug use so accepting the information of peer is a much more practical method and that has been the case... For I don't know how long, Jeffrey, but certainly since the you know the introduction of HIV, yeah. that the behaviour change will yeah. only work with peer education. Works better with peer education to introduce it. Please help us build safer. This article goes on to say, please help us build safer, more compassionate communities where youth aren't made to feel ashamed of using drugs or of talking about them. Education plus empathy equals saving lives. This article was co-authored by Serena Lyons, Talia Lyons, Zara Lyons and Ayla Martin. Uh, Serena Lyons is a 14-year-old junior high student who is Swamp Cree Metis from Manitoba, Saskatchewan. She's the youngest of four founding members of Youth for Canada uh, and is responsible for planning and executing fundraising events. When not making chocolate for an upcoming fundraiser or workshop, she enjoys jigging, beating and playing piano. I think it's a really important article which shows I think it is too. you're never too young to speak to a peer educator and get the real information. Yeah, look, I, I think it's a great article and it really just echoes what we have been saying. I'm not saying that they followed our style because they obviously came up with it themselves, but it just makes sense, doesn't it? It does make sense. All right, I'll just play uh, one more track for Jude and then I'll play, promise I'll play your Mamas and the Papa song. This is Vincent by Don McLean. <laughs> Starry, starry night Paint your palette blue and grey Look out on a summer's day With eyes that know the darkness in my soul Shadows on the hills Sketch the trees and the daffodils Catch the breeze and the winter chills in colors on the snowy linen land Now I understand What you tried to say to me And how you suffered for your sanity And how you tried to set them free They would not listen, they did not know how Perhaps they'll listen now 
Starry, starry night Flaming flowers that brightly blaze Swirling clouds in violet haze Reflect in Vincent's eyes of china blue Colors changing hue Morning fields of amber grain Weathered faces lined in pain Are soothed beneath the artist's loving hand Now I understand What you tried to say to me And how you suffered for your sanity And how you tried to set them free They would not listen, they did not know how Perhaps they'll listen now For they could not love you But still your love was true And when no hope was left inside On that starry, starry night You took your life as lovers often do But I could have told you, Vincent this world was never meant for one as beautiful as you Starry, starry night Portraits hung in empty halls Frameless heads on nameless walls With eyes that watch the world and can't forget Like the strangers that you met the ragged men in ragged clothes a silver thorn a bloody rose lie crushed and broken on the virgin snow now I think I know what you tried to say to me and how you suffered for your sanity and how you tried to set them free They would not listen, they're not listening still Perhaps they never Right, that was uh, Don McLean and uh, his song about uh, Vincent Van Gogh. Vincent. Okay, it's about uh, just a bit after 20 minutes to midday. You're listening to News from the Drug War Front, brought to you by Karma, the Canberra Alliance for Home Minimisation and Advocacy and its co-located organisation for First Nations clients, The Connection. Mm. Now, uh, Monica, I thought this was interesting, the federal... Marion's my name, darling. What did I call you? Monica. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> but that's what was going... We were talking about Monica off here. Hi, Monica. How Hi, are you? Hi, Mon. <laughs> the FDA approves uh, non-profits over Which the counter. Which is fabulous. This is real news, actually, from the United States. The FDA approves non-profits over the counter opioid overdose nasal spray, reversal nasal spray. And this is by Alex Arger, July 29th. So Revive, R-I-V, capital V, I-V-E, was approved by the FDA on Friday. So that's the same thing that we call Nixoid in Australia. 
and is expected to be made available by early next year. The USA Food and Drug Administration approved another over-the-dose count counter over-the-counter naloxone nasal spray used to reverse opioid overdose on Friday. Revive, made by Harm Reduction Therapeutics, is the second non-prescription naloxone product the FDA has approved. But unlike other opioid overdose products, the three milligram treatment will be available for free or low cost, and its sales will bring no profit to its manufacturer. Um... So there's a quote from Dr. Michael Hufford, the co-founder and chief executive officer of Harm Reduction Therapeutics, Inc. We are grateful that FDA granted Revive approval so we can now achieve what we thought, what we most thought impossible and no other company has. Broad delivery of a lower cost nasal naloxone product without prescription without a prescription to save lives that could otherwise be lost to opioid overdose. Naloxone products are the standard treatment for rapidly reversing effects of an opioid overdose, a persistent public health issue in the United States. In 2020, nearly 75% of drug overdose deaths involved opioid an opioid, according to CDC data. And these type of overdose deaths have increased by more than eight times since 1999. In the past decade, increases have been significantly, significantly linked to synthetic opioids mixed with illicitly manufactured fentanyl. Isn't it funny how the FDA is so reticent with things like um, oh, changing the scheduling of cannabis, you know, from no medical benefit whatsoever, yes. which it still is Schedule 1. And has been for 60 years. Exactly. And now they're just quickly jumping in. Well, I guess the mortality rate has made yeah, and morbidity rate on opioids has just been Some horrendous. Sort of, yeah. Yeah. Too many people. Frightening. Including Way too many people. White kids. Well, that was what I was going to say, Geoffrey. Way too many white people. Now, because of these increased risks and numbers, the FDA has taken multiple steps to support harm reduction practices, mm. like its work in advancing overdose reversal drugs. In March, the FDA approved the first ever over-the-counter naloxone nasal spray, Narcan, and in May it approved the first nal- nalmaphene hydrochloride nasal spray, OPV. Nalmaphene is an opioid receptor antagonist that possesses a longer duration of action than naloxone at the same dose. Uh-huh. I wasn't aware of that. No. According to the National Institute of Health. It requires a prescription, however, and is intended for youth use in healthcare and community settings. I suspect that's because if you throw people into withdrawals because of its strength, maybe? You just, I, yeah. I'm just I'm, hypothesising. Yeah, yeah. Likewise, I'm not sure. The newly approved Revive, according to Harm Reduction Therapeutics, will be available by early 2024, primarily to harm reduction organisations and state governments. But the non-profit pharmaceutical company said it's looking for additional funding partners to make Revive even more accessible. The non-profit said it's focused on supplying the cheaper option to communities who need it most and to start at least 200,000 doses which is 10% of its first projected year of product production, and it will be available for free. I, You know, frankly, I would ask um, Virgin Airlines, um, although I don't know if the, uh, the 
creator of Virgin Airlines still owns it, but he is certainly one of the people that I would approach. Well, Richard Branson spoke heavily against prohibition um, at the Aval Do yeah, in Melbourne some he did, years ago. Didn't he? But he's also one person that I think that would have the ducks, yeah, the oh, money, definitely to Isn't chuck he? into something like that, and it would. Really, I think enhances the perception of his, um, the way he behaves, and the community would an- enhance his reputation. Well, it's an area that's very hard to get phil- philanthropy yes. or big attached names to, yes. attaching to and it. And yet, if he's prepared to stand up at a harm reduction, um, an international conference like that, and that can be reported on all internationally, globally, um, why not? Spoke beautifully. Present too. some bucks for that. Oh, look, I think I really quite admire Richard Branson. I think that he has more guts and brains than a lot of uh, so-called philanthropists that you see around the world. He's prepared to risk his reputation on that kind of. We've got that stage. kind of money. Risk uh, reputation doesn't matter. <laughs> well, I think it probably well, does. Well, a bit. If you want to get into the States, you often don't tell them you take drugs, yeah? All right, Marion. <laughs> I really hope this is dedicated to the one I love. Please. Bye, Mama I, Cass Elliot. Yeah. yeah? Okay. Let's give, give it a go. I forgive you, Jeffrey.
dedicated to the one I love. This is dedicated. There Thank goodness. Go. Got yeah, it. Yeah, got it, Jeffrey. Yeah, got it. I forgive you, though. It was. I look. We looked at the disc, people, and you couldn't see which was disc one and which was two. Well, it's very if tricky. you didn't have glasses on, if you need glasses to read small print, because the disc one was written, was actually glazed on to the gold covering. It was yeah. still in gold. Tricky. And you had to read it because of the reflection of the light, not because it was clearly designated. Anyway. Got time for the short story about this poor woman, we alleged do, drug dealer? I think. An alleged drug dealer, Amy Lovett, returns from a Kentucky trip to defend charges. An alleged drug de- dealer who was allowed to travel overseas on a Contiki holiday has returned to the country to defend the charges. See, we do come back to court. A young alleged drug dealer who successfully had her bail varied to go on an overseas holiday despite facing, quote, serious, end quote, charges, has returned to the country to defend the allegations. Amy Lovett, who's 19, pleaded not guilty to two counts of supplying an indictable amount of cocaine, one of supplying a small amount of the drug and one of dealing with crime proceeds. Police alleged she was caught supplying cocaine and in possession of $300 in cash, suspected to be gained from drug supply in Surrey Hills on May the 13th. She was arrested and granted bail. In early July, she had her bail varied to temporarily cancel her three days of reporting to police and allow to her to travel on an overseas Contiki tour with her family offering um, up a $10,000 surety to ensure she would return to the country and face court as required. At the time, Deputy Chief Magistrate Theo Savaridis, I got it, said it was, quote, not exactly a compelling case to allow someone facing serious drug supply charges to go on a Contiki trip, adding that he, quote, felt very uncomfortable about it. But he ultimately allowed it after hearing Lovett's lawyer's case about her lack of criminal record and financial commitments in Australia that would ensure that she would return. Lovett's lawyer considered she faced allegations of, quote, very serious offending. Contiki is a youth-focused travel company based in New Zealand and Australia. The court heard her bail conditions would be re- were to be reset to their previous conditions once her trip was over. But today, her lawyer told Sydney Stanning, sent a local court that Lovett returned to the country to be told by police she no longer had any bail conditions. Your Honour suspended bail so she could travel, but police have told her she has no bail conditions anymore, her lawyer told the court. Hmm. Ms Savarides <laughs> said he would fix that now. <laughs> Good. And reinstated, troubles. <laughs> reinstated her bail conditions, which were enforced prior to her leaving for a trip on June the 20th. The court heard the brief was yet to be served despite being due on July 17th due to outstanding drug analysis results and mobile phone celebrity records. Ms. Savaridis... Mr. Savaridis. Savaridis reordered the brief to be served by 18th of November. Lovett's case will return to court at a later date. So obviously what his honour did was simply to suspend her bail conditions. 
and just leave it in a state of suspension and not reinstate them after the three days. Yeah, it seems that way. So that that's a strange thing to do, isn't it? It is a strange Given thing. Given that he didn't really trust her to go on a Contiki trip for three days. But nonetheless, it just shows that, you know, just because you're an alleged drug dealer doesn't mean you're not going to turn up a court to no. face your charges. No, exactly. And I think that's really important. So we'll wrap learn. up the show just by reminding you of all the services. And if you think karma can help you, 6253-3643 is the number to call. If uh, they can't help you over the phone, you can make an appointment to see a worker or get referral. Or you referral. can drop in. Just come we'll to the in. drop-in centre yeah. between uh, 10 and 4 on every weekday. Um, on Thursday, there's the a clinic. health service. They've got yep. point of care testing for Hep C yes, um, right. every day. You've got vein checking. Uh, the Venoscope, which is uh, a great piece of kit. There's a, um, a women's uh, group service yep. for women who are involved with family services and yeah. had their children removed. Yeah. There's a, an art, art post. For uh, over 40s. Every day, but especially on Friday afternoon. Yeah. There's a lot of equipment, and even you and I have done it, Marion. Yeah, <laughs> and Natasha's an excellent teacher. So there's, you know, an ever-increasing number of things that people can do. Yeah, well, that, look, that I've written down 10, but there's actually 12 or 13 programs or projects that Karma is uh, hosting or conducting, and I think that, you know, just really... Important that people know it's really quite a small organisation, but it's really doing an awful lot Absolutely. in terms of service provision and working with other services to collaborate in service provision, which makes it not only more reliable, but more accessible and more available and to a larger number of people. So it's really working hard to service its community um, and its peers. Yeah, and the more and you achieve, provi- the more you can achieve. Yeah, and providing services that you need, that we need, um, by people who, excuse me, know how to provide it. And we will do our best to keep you up to date with uh, developments. We will. Um, I might just add that uh, the Philippines... Um, Although it's withdrawn, it withdrew from the International Criminal Court, is now complaining internationally that the Chinese are acting illegally by policing the South China Sea. I saw that. Um, And they, in fact, used a water cannon to fire at a boat that was resupplying uh, an yeah. atoll yeah. that Philippine soldiers, and about 20 of them. Their were, territorial. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's called, it's the South, called the South China Sea. They yeah. think it belongs to them. It's all theirs, yeah. But it, yeah, because it's called China, that must be theirs. But it's not their territorial waters. In fact, it's off the coast of Vietnam. They just tried on. We'll they leave sure you do. with some of our theme song, of course, uh, The Stranglers and Golden Brown. We'll be back next week. Take care, everyone. Yeah, please. We love you and we'll see you next week. Bye, yep. Jeff. Take care. Thanks, Mary. Bye. <laughs> Texture like sun Lays me down With my mind she runs Throughout the night No need to fight Never a frown With golden brown 
time just like the last on the ship tied to the mast two distant lands takes both my hands never a frown with golden brown Temptress Through the ages She's heading west From far away Stays for a day Never a frown With a 